Hello, and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. I'm Andy Probasco. Today, we'll be talking about the recent Team Serious Invitational, Two Card Monty, and the MTG Underground. Yeah, so we have a special guest on today. We brought uh, Ben Perry. You may know him as Dr. Superstition or Shaman Ben in his various forms. He's a uh, a belcher aficionado like myself. I think we first met each other at uh, RIW, I don't know, 10 years ago, both playing belcher. Or it, you may have been playing tendrils combo, but I was... Did you play that. against each other is, is the important part. Uh, we did. We actually played against each other in a top four. I don't know if... Who won? Ben did. But it was the top four. We got really good prizes. I don't remember if it was like Lotus, Ancestral, Sapphire, Time Walk drafted oh. by the top four. Yeah, I think I ended up with a Time Walk because it was nicer than a Sapphire. Yeah, you you gave me the Sapphire even though I think in most cases it would have been worth more. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good tournament. That was, I think, one of the first times I met you, if not the first. Yeah, definitely early on. Back when I, you know, I actually played more Magic and did... Did pretty well, <laughs> <laughs> right? But yeah, we're we're here uh, with Ben because he won the most recent Team Serious Invitational, which was uh, at this point last weekend. So we're now at what eight days ago. And so, important question here, Ben: Are you wearing the champ medal? Right I am now? currently wearing the champ medal. <laughs> I am. Um, I'm also but, wearing my top hat, which is making this headset really awkward. I haven't really figured this out yet. But. It's okay, you know. It's like my first time on the internet. I get this down. You have to build the uh, headset mics into the uh, the top hat. That yeah, I really need a top time. hat headset mic. Right. Have you been wearing the metal for this entire week, or is it? Uh, you just well, put it off of this? I would just destroy it at work. Like I destroy everything <laughs> at work, so I decided to leave it at home for that. I gotta say, as soon as I walked in, as soon as they saw Jake wearing the medal from the last event that he won, like my drive to win the tournament just like tripled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh, I gotta get this. Like the prizes are pretty good, but medals you can't get. I can go dual. I can go to Star City and buy a dual land right now. Right, I can't, I can't buy the Team Series medal. Right. There were a couple of drunk, awkward moments with Jake where I just was, like, staring him down, sipping my drink throughout the day. Like, I didn't say anything to him. It's like, just, like, was looking at the medal. I was thinking, I'm going to leave here with that. Nice. <laughs> I mean, I was going to leave with it anyway. I'm just glad I actually just, won it. It's convenient. Convenient yeah. that you actually won. So, so this was also Andy's first Team Series Invitational. He flew into, what, Detroit? I, yeah, I flew into Detroit. So there, there's more large cities in Ohio than I realized. Well, yeah, Detroit's right. not in Ohio, but it's it's close enough. Close enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I flew. Yeah, so, so Detroit is definitely not in Ohio. It's close enough. <laughs> yeah, it's close. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know. It felt like Ohio to me, guys. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, so Team Series Invitational for people with zero background, which is... Everyone except us? Yeah, well, I mean, the, I figure like most of our eight podcast listeners were there. But um, <laughs> for, the, for the others... It's probably actually better for someone else to say this, but Team Service Invitational, it's a regular series of events that are run by various people and the, in the Team Serious group. This is called the Team Serious Series Vintage Podcast, but we don't really talk very often about what Team Serious is. There's a concept of a team in magic. It's not really like that. It is a lot of people who enjoy vintage and talking about vintage, but also who enjoy talking about other stuff and just enjoy each other's company. Not a huge priority on winning events. That's uh, good because pretty much nobody in Team Serious <laughs> actually wins events. Well, that's the beauty of Team Serious Invitational. Someone from Team Serious it, always it, wins. Yeah, it gives someone a chance to win. So the, the Team Serious Invitational is an invitational in the sense that you, you can't just play in this tournament. They, they send an invite to people, but it's not like it's not like this super exclusive thing. It's it's their tournaments held at somebody's house. So we can't just invite everyone. <laughs> can't literally invite anybody. There's there's a limited number of people who can show up just because there's food. You know, <laughs> there's not. We're not trying to kick anyone out. It's just a matter of it's a bunch of friends hanging out, and right. while they're hanging out for a day and a half, some of that time is taken up by a magic tournament, which is the prizes are supplied by people who are you know in the team who are friends. Everyone's there to see each other first and to play magic second. Uh, a lot of drinking. Uh, camaraderie, a lot of crazy decks. It's legit prizes too. I mean, they 
for money in to prizes out, it's it's worth winning. But everyone there is drunk, and most people are playing not serious decks, so it's also well. That's that's not actually true. I mean, there are serious decks there. I mean, it like serious and yeah, and, like it's <laughs> to, a, to a degree. People are playing what they think actually will win. I mean, it's not like um maybe some people. It's not a poop deck challenge. Right. Like, we talk about events being poop deck challenges, but. We can never actually get enough people to sort of agree on that to actually make one happen. It's not the same as other metagames. Right. <laughs> I mean, people are trying to win, but they're trying their best to win while drunk, and some people factor that into their deck decision. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, this is a great thing, but, but the, the decks are a little weird. <laughs> I regret not playing a weirder deck. Did you factor in drunkenness into your deck choice, Andy? I did. I forget. There was there was a deck that I was interested in playing and realized that I just it just wasn't going to happen. I played Esper Mentor, which is not. Oh, you played a. Re-deck. I mean, it's not a. It's not completely brain dead, but at the same time, I played it more than I played other decks recently. So I felt like I could make the decisions pretty easily. I forget what else I was looking at. I wanted to play something with new cards because for this event, even oh, though it yeah. wasn't technically legal yet, we allowed cards from Eldritch Moon. Moon. Yeah. Which was fun. I played zero cards from Eldritch Moon. A lot of people did play cards from Eldritch Moon. I kind of wish that I had, but I didn't. What would you have played? Can you name a couple? Three? Well, I mean, I, I think Thalia is probably the best card, but I probably wouldn't have run it. Yeah. I wanted to run a Curious Homunculus deck. I oh, yeah. This would be my only chance. Yeah, that would have been a good like one. A, I, was, I was eager to like see Like a that. Gifts Ungiven Intuition combo deck with right. that. I'll probably play that online sometime, but I, you know, I didn't want to build a complicated combo deck. Right. And then play it, having never played it before, being totally drunk. Yeah. But I kind of wish that I had. <laughs> it was yeah, really fun. Yeah, that's what I think I would have played if I had spent more time thinking about it, I guess. Yeah. Or less time thinking about it. Right. As the case may be. When I saw Tarmogoyf in Nat's deck, I actually thought <laughs> he must have been drinking while he was building his deck, too. Oh, come on. No, Tarmogoyf was, was legitimately in there to beat Eldrazi, and I, it did. I'm sure it does a fine job. It's just a card that I only cast one time, and I hated it so much that I sold them afterwards, and oh. I've never cast it again. I mean, that's fair. You're not really along the mainstream of playing. <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed Tarmogoyf in the past, so eh, I wasn't. So, yeah, so, so we will get too into detail, but we can go over real quick, except for Ben later will go in deep detail, yeah. but, like, what do people play, and why do they play it? So I was playing an Esper Mentor deck. It was nothing too special. I think the only really special thing I did for the tournament was I ran, like, a ton of basics, right. just because, A, I expected a bunch of Thalias, and, B, I expected a bunch of the um, Null Rod Eldrazi deck. Um, and there was some of it there, but it wasn't, you know, half the metagame or anything. But Thalia was certainly the best represented card from Eldritch Moon. I think that we only had... Yeah. <laughs> Three other cards from Eldritch Moon, because Kevin played New Tamio and that Spell Queller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, And Jimmy played Grave Consequences. Uh, Collective Brutality. Oh, yeah, Yeah. sorry. (laughs) So so I went 2-3, which is in no way exciting, but uh, I love the the field that I played against. Round 1 was just like a regular, regular uh, Dark Position Storm deck. Round 2 I played against Tamio Control, (laughs) <laughs> round three, I played against two card Monty. We'll hear about that later. Yeah. Uh, round four, I played against, uh, Dark Depths Landstill. And round five, I played against, uh, Painter, but it was Painter with like a bunch of main deck Blood Moons and Grim Lava Mancers. So it was just a lot of really cool decks. Right. And the cards that I lost to were like, you know, cards I, I didn't prepare for, so I deserved to lose to them. <laughs> That's right. kind of how it worked. <laughs> I heard people talk about your deck, Matt, but I didn't actually see it. Yeah, so I was I was playing. It was essentially Bant Control. I basically took a rug pyromancer list that I had from before Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise were cards, and I switched out the red for white. So I played Mentor over Pyromancer. Continued playing Tarmogoyf and switched out my Lightning Bolts for Swords to Plowshares. And uh, I mean, it did pretty much what I wanted it to do. It kept up with blue decks well enough. It beat Eldrazi, thanks to Tarmogoyf and Swords of Plowshares. I made top four, so I was pretty happy. <laughs> the decks that I had problems with were sort of like you say, things that I didn't really plan on. So I didn't have a great sideboard against two-card Monty, and uh, what else did I lose to? Eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember what the other card that I lost to, or the other deck that I lost to. 
Uh, you know, overall we had uh, 24 Four. players. Yep. 24 players. One thing to point out is that a third of the tournament, uh, eight players were playing Mentor, and only one made top eight. That deck lost in top eight, didn't it? It lost in top four. It was me. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> um, hey, yeah. <laughs> we had a really varied top eight, which was, which was great. You know, two-card Monty at the top. Brian Fisher got second playing Burning Omniscience Oath, which I think was a really unique build based on a deck that was, uh, was it? Kai's from the Kai Booty from the uh, yeah um, I know Kai played that in the VSL so yeah I don't I don't know how similar Brian's list was to Kai's but he said he changed six or eight cards or something like it was I mean it's <laughs> similar name but not all that that close Jake Hilty came in third with uh, Thalia Tribal Eldrazi basically so he played eight copies of Thalia both Guardian of Thraben and Heretic Cathar. I got fourth Matt Hazard again did well with Blue Black Dark Depths Landstill. He's been doing really well with that. I think his list is really cool. Kevin Crone, we mentioned earlier, got sixth with Tamio's Angels. CJ Moritz played a deck that I called Moon Unit Zappa, which is essentially just Magus of the Moon control, blue-red control. And Nam Tran, per usual, made top eight with Ravager Stacks. And he actually had Smokestack in there, which I think is a card we haven't seen a lot of recently. I think it's really good, though. Yeah, oh, I do too. Like I said, I think the, the top eight was really varied. We had a lot of different different decks and a lot of different looks at decks that are you know familiar but unique so i think it was a good tournament cool stuff uh what did you play jeff i didn't play at all you i played host to all of our idiot asses i swear i saw you playing some magic but i must have made it up my usual stance on this is that if we have an odd number of players i will play but i prefer not to simply because honestly facilitating really is a full-time job yeah yeah, I agree. This time around, I got Randall to agree that if we had an odd number of people, he would play. All right, but all right. We had an even 24. And uh, it was especially important this time around because we were cooking dinner instead of having catered dinner. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it would have been really hard to play and get dinner going at any reasonable time. So. And that cookout dinner was a really great idea, I thought. It, it worked out really well. I was really happy. As long as you guys were happy. As yeah, it was a fantastic. Duo. Right. In the past, we've, <laughs> we've sort of ordered in dinner for, or uh, sorry, ordered in lunch and dinner. Jimmy John's for lunch and Chipotle for dinner or something like that. And this time we got sandwiches for lunch. And Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with ordering something and, and bringing it in. At the first Invitational at Twan's, we walked somewhere for dinner, um, <laughs> which is, is, it's basically like, you have to really think about what you're going to do with 25 dudes, probably half of which are really hammered, the rest of which are, like, at least a little bit hammered. Lightly hammered. Yeah. So it's not like you can drive anywhere, and even walking a long distance can be tricky. So that's why, at least here, we're not really close to anything. It's very easy, so we, we bring food in. But yeah, cooking cookout. I would definitely do that again if if weather permits it. It worked out right. really well. Right. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, you guys always, you and Sarah always do a great job hosting. So it's, thank you all as always for that. Woo. Yeah. Yeah, and all the uh, the videos from the uh, event are all up online. They're on YouTube. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the um, write up that we do. You can um, actually see in Andy's game two in round one him cheating. On nice. Camera. <laughs> oh, is it the the ponder? Uh, no, no, you... Something in the graveyard. You flash back Sword to the Plowshares with Snapcaster Mage, and then put it back in your graveyard, which I was gonna let go, like, people on the stream were like, Andy's cheating! Andy's cheating! And I was just like, I'm gonna let this go, because I don't really care, I don't know yeah, why, yeah, yeah. I don't want a rules lawyer, but then you, <laughs> you did Dig Through Time, and Swords to oh. Plowshares was the only card you left in your graveyard, and oh. I was like, alright. <laughs> to clarify and defend myself, I put the Swords to Plowshares in my graveyard after I, after I Snapcastered. But I never ended up doing anything with it. Like, no, I, I no, because I came down. Yes, yes, I, I would have, if, eventually, if, if you hadn't seen it on stream. On a long <laughs> enough timeline, somebody's going to like, cheat. If, if everyone was paying attention, and by everyone I mean me, if I was paying attention, the plays would have been exactly the same. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't like, I didn't get to cast the Swords to Plowshares three times. But yes, no, I totally put it in my graveyard and then left it in my graveyard after a dig through time. If I had one last card in my graveyard, I would have illegally digged, but I 
just barely, just barely didn't didn't break the rules <laughs> to that degree. How drunk were you at that point in round one? I mean, I wish I could. I mean, I I had started drinking, but that was only round two. It's not like I was. It's not like I was gone at that point. I don't really. Have I don't much know. Of I was I mean, pretty gone of, at round two. <laughs> I mean, part of it is you're just not really you're not really paying attention, right? Like, like right. if that had happened, if it had been a slightly more serious tournament, if if I had done it like illegally, like if if I didn't have enough cards in my graveyard, if I played the dig illegally, and like a turn later, someone had been like, "Oh, you totally just cheated," I mean, a team serious invitational, I probably would have just said like, "Oh, okay, do you want the win, Kevin? Yeah, <laughs> right. take it. Like it's fine." Uh, that's that's the mindset, which is why it's so great, because it's 24 people, 25 mm-hmm. people, I don't know. Everyone's a good guy, right? That's that's the whole point. Everybody's yeah. a good guy. One other thing that I have to call out, because I can't believe, I can't believe you made the top eight do shots of Malort. <laughs> I can't believe we did it. <laughs> oh, my God. I had so much Malort at that event. I didn't have to, because I wasn't in the top eight. I had a Malort Arena, which I don't think anyone else had. <laughs> That sounds awful. And uh, Malort Bob. At the uh, the start of the top eight, yeah, all of us did shots. And so Matt Hazard and I, there's a there's a picture of us interlinking arms as we do our shots of Malort. <laughs> and Hazard was already half in the bag at that point, and I can't imagine drinking Malort on top of that. But, wow. <laughs> this was the first time I've ever had Malort. I'm sorry. Not unlike the Yeagerita, not as bad as I expected. However, unlike the Yeagerita, Malort is still terrible. It lingers. <laughs> yeah. It's still... It's, I'm pretty sure it's the worst, the worst drink I've ever had. But, but I expected to just throw up immediately from the description. I, I kind of thought it was going to happen after I drank it. But I've had one thing ever that was worse than Malort, and it was called Sinar, and it was an artichoke liqueur. And oh, I totally I don't know had where that. It came I'm cool from. with that. No, it was, it was I totally wild. had that. Somebody used to bring it to like parties. And then wait till we were drunk and everything else was gone and be like, well, let's drink this Sinar. Like, you are a terrible human being. So. I like that Eric Butler was talking about how he took a bottle of Malort to a party with quote unquote friends. And <laughs> as, he was, friends. as he was about to leave, he was like, let's all do shots of Malort. So he, so like all 10 of them or whatever did a shot of Malort and then he left. That's- <laughs> Like that—that's the way to break up with a group of people. Yeah, well played. I, I got to say, before we transition, one of my fondest vintage memories ever was when I was a much younger player, and I got invited as like a friend of a friend to a tournament that was very similar to the Team Series Invitational. It was in—it was a housewarming party for a for a New England player, a Grand Inquisitor on the Mandarin. It was just so fun. It was a similar. I don't think I drank at the time. I don't even know if I was twenty-one at the time. But it was just like. This mind-blowing experience for me. I've been to tournaments with everyone who was there, but the, just the vibe was different, and everyone was having so much fun. I think that was actually literally the first time I ever saw anyone tinker out a, a Darkstone Colossus. It might have been the first time anyone did it. I don't know. I, I remember hearing a story about that event being like, That's someone, to, someone, to me, someone put, someone yeah. put that in there as a joke. They were like, "Oh, look at what I'm going to do," and and yeah, and then all of a sudden, it kept winning. That, yeah, that is actually absolutely my rhyme of the situation. The guy was just playing keeper, and he's like, "I'm going to be drunk, and I don't feel like thinking a lot, so I'm just going to tinker out the largest creature I can and try to kill people." And he just beat everybody. Yeah. Now I don't know if it's totally possible that some European players came up with it first. Happens yeah. all the time. But that was the first time I ever saw it, and he didn't copy it from anywhere. He was just like, yeah. wouldn't it be funny if I tinkered out a gigantic creature instead of some welder target, like in a non-welder deck? But beyond that, yeah, it was just like a bunch of people hanging out having fun. That was like 10 years ago? <laughs> Probably yeah, less than that, but like a long time ago. And I haven't mentioned too much of that since then. I've definitely hung out with like five friends and played vintage. But like, if you haven't done this, consider this. A birthday party, a bachelor party. If you can get like 15, 20 players together, hold like a real tournament but everyone's drunk and they're all good people or they're yeah. not drunk, whatever. But like, it is a different experience and it's a great experience. And I think we'll sort of get into that later. Yeah. It's worth doing. So for right now, speaking of drunk and good people, let's turn to Ben Perry and Two Card Monty. Hey, everybody. Because I love this deck. I mean, I've played it before, too, and I just, Ben has just been kicking butt with it all over Ohio and the Midwest. <laughs> Every It's been, uh, I mean, the last 
Team Series Invitational, I did take a break from it to play yeah. uh, Ubistax, and I regretted it as soon as I sat down. Uh, because I just thought, even though I played some awesome games and I had a blast, I just was immediately like, wow, I really wish I was playing two-card money right now. So my relationship with this deck is fantastic. I started before Eternal Weekend last year. I decided that I was just going to abandon everything that I knew and everything that I had done, and I was just going to be a workshops player because the only way I could figure out to end games on turn one in Vintage was to play like Trinisphere. I was like, this is kind of like Belcher, except I get to watch my opponent squirm for a while. So I was like, I can get on board with this. It's fine. And I played for it for a while. I was doing okay, but like, I don't know. I like Smokestack. I like Tangleware, but I still don't like killing people with creatures. So I was having a kind of some trouble with where the deck was going. And I played it at Eternal Weekend, and in round one, I sat down against Jason Jaco. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on until he killed me with two-card Monty, and I... I looked at him, I said, I now know what I want to do with my life. And, <laughs> and I've been doing it ever since. Well, so why, don't you, uh, why don't you break down the two combos for us? Why, why is it two-card Monty? Okay, so basically, the two cards you need to win are either Leyline of the Void with Helm of Obedience or Painter Servant with Grindstone. So the great thing about both of these combos is, you know, Leyline coming into play free. Helm of Obedience is very easy to cast with Workshop. If you have Painter and Grindstone and Workshop, the Workshop can play both of your combo pieces with one tap. So it's two great combos that are just a natural fit with Workshops. And then just having Workshop in and of itself is great because playing a Workshop, people just automatically expect what they know Workshops to be. And you have this completely other ridiculous thing. The deck is largely after, you know, the 16 cards for your two combos is just like a whole pile of restricted list. Awesome. some combo builders. Yeah, and then Goblin Welders for good measure, which is probably even the worst card in the deck, to be honest. It's fine because it's like a backup plan, right? but, you, you know, you you rarely actually need it. The deck just, when the deck is working, when it's doing what it's supposed to do, right. it you know, it's phenomenal, and there's there's almost no stopping it. It's like, but I try to tell people, I'm like, as much as it looks like this amazing deck that can beat anything... Just because you can beat anything still doesn't mean you don't lose to yourself sometimes. Right. So, you know, it's exactly my kind of magic. Yeah, you still kind of run into some of the problems that regular combo has, where it's like, yeah, uh, this this hand doesn't do anything. Well, in my round four games against Nam, like on camera, I was just losing those games, and everything was horrible and miserable. I mulliganed to like four and to five, like just nothing was going right. Oh, I just yeah. sat there, I was like, oh well, and then I squeaked out a win, you know, by <laughs> chance. But you know, it's the deck does have its issues. They're right. very present. But I'm the sort of magic player who's who's always kind of preferred decks that do that. You right. know, I want to do something and I want it to be awesome. I'm more concerned with doing something awesome than I am finding a way to be everything or anything. Right. And this deck is, it's as good as when I was playing Dragon in the early days. It's as good as when I discovered Belcher. Right. It's it's everything I want to do in Magic. Right. And as as an opponent, I think it's funny. You talked about how you start off with a workshop and everyone's like, oh, well, I know what workshops are going to try and do. But then you you turn into this insane combo deck. And that's really kind of what makes it difficult to prepare for is because... I mean, do I prepare for your workshop parts or do I prepare for your combo nature? I mean, like, am I going to bring in Mind Break Traps or am I going to bring in, uh, like, Hercules yeah. Recall and stuff like that? And it's like, well, kind of you have to do both because right. you just have – you're relying on both parts so much. What's and then, fantastic about the deck is is a lot of the hate cards are really good against you in very specific scenarios. Right. But there's no telling which scenario is going to come up. So right. unless you have all of the hate cards, you might not have the right one at the right time. Right. Well, and even if you have, you know, Pithing Needle, it's like – Okay, I'm gonna pithing needle grindstone, and then it's like, oh well, I'll we saw that worked out for you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I'll play pithing needle, and then Jace the mind sculptor, and then I'll lose. Right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you look at my game against Ben, I mean, that game in particular, I had I had a bunch of good hate cards, but I did not have a force of will, and he played Wheel of Fortune that just gave him an overwhelming advantage, and that's one of his you know sort of turnaround plays is where he can draw seven cards and maybe I'll kill you with those. What I love about this deck and just magic in general is 
you know, my approach to vintage, very similar to my approach to legacy. When you hear people like they have stereotypes of eternal formats, they're like, oh, this format, everybody kills people on turn one. Or this format, they only play all these broken cards. And if you don't win the die roll, you don't get a chance to play. Like all these things are not really true about eternal formats. They're not true about playing legacy. They're not true about playing vintage. However, they're very true about playing either of those formats with me. <laughs> As an ambassador to the community, I'm cementing like a non-existent stereotype to the dismay of everybody else, but I'm always having a good time doing it. Right. Well, I always think that's, uh, we might get into this a little bit later too, but I mean, that's, that's part of the fun of playing those formats is that you have this ability to make these so many insane plays as it were, where it's, you know, you can go off and have Black Lotus into a combo win on turn one that that's that's not possible in standard. It's not even possible in modern, really. Like you're doing something unique. Everyone else is sort of fitting the format. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is a deck that there are strategies that beat it, but people yeah. don't know them. They just don't know them, <laughs> and that's and and even if they do know them, it doesn't necessarily mean they can afford right. to run them. If there's only going to be one or two two card multi players in a tournament, like you were getting into the fact, like. You're playing workshops. You do a lot pieces, right? Like, do you have a Trinisphere in your deck? I'm I had a Trinisphere in my sideboard. Yeah, so so you could you could just on, if you're on the play, just drop a Trinisphere, just crush somebody. Yeah, but you, it, you're not you're not playing a deck where you have like a hundred sphere effects and like a hundred wasteland. Right. I had exactly one sphere effect and zero strip <laughs> effects. And if people don't know that, they're gonna just like you were saying, they're just gonna be crushed, right? right. If, they, if they have some crazy sideboard plan where they're boarding in. A bunch of ancient tombs and Hercules recalls. Like Ingot Chewer is probably the worst card in the world to board in against my deck because yeah. you know I don't because everything's instant, right? Like everything, right. Like, it doesn't matter if you can kill if you're killing something at sorcery speed against two card body, It's too late, right? You've, you've already lost. Yeah, you, you lost last it. turn. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and then you have cards like a Disenchant, which is not that great against regular shops. It's like okay, it's, it's decent against your deck. It stops either of your combos if you have it in hand or you have the mana up. You have, too, a bunch of really weird synergies. I mean, like, Leyline of the Void and Grindstone, those do things together. And, like, Grindstone against Mystical Tutor, Vampiric Tutor, that sort of thing. Like, that's a play. That ha- that, yeah. that is a thing that happens. Helm of Obedience against Oath of Druids. Is- <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Well, t- talk about, uh, I mean, I know, you've, I know you've won games with Helm of Obedience and Yawgmoth's Will, right? Yeah, I um, actually was playing, I think ben, it you was... might not want to say this on the podcast. You might stop. You don't want people to know about this, right? Because they might stop losing to you. I will always tell you my secrets because there's always more secrets. <laughs> In uh, February or March of this year, we held uh, one of our monthly RIW tournaments. You know, I'd gone three zero into the into the fourth and final round, and I got paired against Brian Demars. And we decided to, you know, we decided to prize split, and then we played out some games. And he was on this Esper Mentor deck with Time Vault and Voltaic Key. I mulliganed into Oblivion game one, and then we played this game two where I started the game with Leyline. Turn one, I was able to cast Helm, and he didn't have the Force of Will, but I couldn't kill him. I had to pass the turn. So, you know, he played his his land and his mocks, and he, he passed. And then when I tried to kill him on turn two, he disenchanted my Leyline. Fast forward a turn or two, he played Vault Key. I, Nature's claimed his Time Vault to keep him from taking infinite turns. And then as I'm sitting there, I just dropped a card out of my hand because I was drunk. And that <laughs> card was Leyline of the Void. And I had three lands on the table and one of them was Urborg. So he died if I drew any land. And he saw this and he kind of panicked. He says, okay, I need to do something. So he cast Yawgmoth's Will. And I have an untapped helm sitting on the board. And I watched him play some cards. And finally he went to disenchant something or do something that was, was actually affecting the game. I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and activate my helm now. And then I just sat and I looked at him and I waited. And then he looked at the cards and he's like, okay. And then he says, oh, so I just lose. I was like, yeah, thanks for the ley line, uh, aka Yogmos will, because just giving me that temporary zone. And I, in the finals of the Team Serious Invitational, that actually came up because after all of the brokenness of Fisher's first turn, he after establishing oh, yeah. Oathers Druids and set up for turn two off of the Ancestral, he then Burning Wish for Yawgmoth's Will right. while I had a Helm out. And I thought, man, I, if he <laughs> didn't, like, I'm just going to wait for him to cast that and then I'm going to beat him and it's going to be really funny. <laughs> but then he Oathed up Emrakul and I thought, oh, I'm going to lose all my permanents and not get to do that. So I probably should do something. 
So, so I took his Grizzle brand and, you know, worked out really good too. Right. Right. Drawing 14 cards with two card money is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's just like double wheel of fortune for just me was probably my favorite thing I did all day. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot of interesting, weird interactions that the deck has like that, you know, right. that work out great. So it's, they're not super uncommon and people played helm with rest in peace and and legacy and different things and two card money is by no means a new deck people are always you know kind of surprised and they always tell me oh i you know i played that deck a long time ago it's terrible and i was yeah. like well it's still terrible but i really like it <laughs> well i think uh i mean matt elias popularized the deck like six years ago or something i mean this was i was living in dc at the time so it was yeah between 2008 and 2010 mm-hmm. anyway you know, he championed the sort of ideas that you did that, you know, you have the workshop into your combos. Like you have really essentially cheap, efficient combos. You just have to mulligan into a set of cards that works, works for you, basically. I thought two card Monty used to play a third two card combo. That would be three card Monty. Well, I thought the idea was that it was two card Monty and you had just yeah, a bunch of two card two combos. Cards. Yeah. Right. There have been versions that have played three. I mean, I don't know if. Ben, if you have any experience with these, but I know like Jerry Yang has played two card Monty plus Metalworker staff. Uh, um, I haven't toyed around with that, but I did put Dark Depths Thespian Stage in the sideboard. Oh, okay. like a way yeah, that's to a cool just, one like, too. Yeah, it's just it was way too slow for what I like to do. But it's completely new to like Artifact Hate or anything or Disenchant. Yeah, right. Nice. Yeah, I just I wanted to have a way to like not get disrupted by artifacts right. or things that disrupt artifacts. You know, I wanted to have something that just beat Null Rod. Yeah, um, exactly. Specifically yeah. post board, but then it turned out that like Nullrod doesn't really stop me. I just red blasted or ancient grudge it or whatever, and it's you know it's fine. <laughs> so you also get to play the the painter servant combo. I mean, you have a uh, painter servant combo with red blast. I mean, you have two red elemental blasts, a pyroblast, and most people aren't used to playing against a workshop. Like yeah. they see a workshop, they're not going to play around red blasts. Right, right. Most people, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> if your opponent's wearing a top hat. He's yeah. not really playing workshops. <laughs> it's, it's just a thought. Yeah, that's been a lot of the experience with it, too, is, you know, you, you've got these cards like that, which, by the way, in in my build, it really should be three red elemental blasts because oh, I okay. have demonic consultation for, like, the one red blast that was left when I had, like, a red blast pyroblast split because I had to destroy a stony silence to win the game. To not die to Manus Rider. I've still never lost a game to Manus Rider, so <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. But That's, Wow. That's you know, me either. It became a much narrower situation because I had to choose between a Power Blast and a Red Blast right. rather than just having all Red Blasts in my deck. Right, sure. So. so, I mean, that's one change you would make. Is there anything else that you're considering making or have made in the past or have tried or... Honestly, what I wanted to do for the tournament was I wanted to only run three Goblin Welders, and I wanted to run three main deck defense grids. Oh, okay. But I only have two German defense grids, and I didn't want to buy an English defense grid, so I just left the fourth welder in there. And it I was, understand. You know, yeah. it, in retrospect, what I'm doing now, because I still haven't bought a third defense grid, is I just put the Trinosphere in the main deck in that slot. Because Trinosphere is a lot like Defense Grid. Sure, it sometimes just true. really screws somebody over like it did Brian in the game two of the finals where he just didn't right. get to cast any spells. I was like, I, I really like when that happens too. So <laughs> You can sort of view Trinosphere as another main deck turn one wink edition. I mean, like yeah. you either have Painter Servant Grindstone or Helm of Obedience and Leyline or Trinosphere, which should set you up for a win, like an actual game win on turn two or three or four or something where your opponent can't do anything. Another thing that I have typically done with a deck that I actually cut for the Team Series Invitational is up until this point, I've always wanted to run one robot in the sideboard. Oh, it's okay. Lately, it's been Sphinx of the Steel Wind just because I played a game where I hard cast a Sphinx, but I also then the next turn played Painter Servant on green, huh. and my, my opponent drew something. Oh, he drew and then like played Dak Faden. And, I, and he was like, okay, well, I'll draw cards. And then he drew the Nature's Claim. He's like, sweet. Actually, I think he drew something that was, uh, he drew Swords of Plowshares instead yeah. of the Nature's Claim. I was like, no, it's green like Nature's Claim. And, sorry, I'm drinking a lot, so I'm a little <laughs> confused there. Yeah. You know, just being able to turn that green, then he had to plow the, uh, he had to plow the painter and then hope to get another one. And it didn't matter. I killed him in time. Yeah. So, 
you know, that is something I've done in the past. I was like, oh, I like Sphinx, but I really think if I was going to, you know, what I have in there right now is Blightsteel Colossus. It's something that when I first started playing the deck, I kind of won a lot of my games off of Tinker Robot because, mm-hmm. you know, just like really was playing the deck very poorly, was making some really questionable decisions, especially in regards to mulligans. When I played against Jaco, when he was playing the deck, he was running Dark Confidants. Mm-hmm. And I don't have Dark Confidants, so I cut them for, like, Thirst for Knowledge, which I've since cut for Memory Jar and Wheel and, you know, powerful cards like that. But right. the idea was, like, if I'm not running Dark Confidants, I can run a Tinker and a Robot, and that's perfectly reasonable. So I had gone that route, and then I slowly moved away from it. And not having access to it in the Invitational, there were like two or three games where I could have won much easier and put a lot less effort into winning games if I would have just had a robot. So. Sure. I, I think it's worth saying, if you're if you're listening to the podcast and looking for a deck to play, Tukar Mati, it's a high-variance deck. It's right. very powerful. Any metagame, any tournament, you could win. If you run hot, Tukar Mati, <laughs> you could definitely beat people. Yeah. But there's this thing, there's this special thing about this deck, and I have never seen... Like, the global metagame or the MTGO metagame has never looked like this. Oh, right. But you're talking about a deck that has workshops... It's a combo deck with workshops main deck and ley lines of the void main deck. If there is ever a time where either the global metagame or your local metagame is workshops, like workshops stacks and Icarid and Dredge... Yeah. Like, play this deck. Absolutely. I've never seen this. It's never been, like, the actual global metagame, but... There's a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. Like, Leyline's Avoid main deck is great against Icarid. Obviously, Dredge, it's great. But beyond that, you're also playing a combo deck, which is, like, the second scariest thing for Dredge, is a deck right. that can race it. Dredge does not want to play against this deck. But then beyond that, you're playing something where if your opponent goes, turn one's Fear of Resistance go, you can play two drops on the first turn on right. the workshop. You, yeah. you can run your combo out there. I mean, Lodestone's not a thing anymore as much, but, like, between, like, Lodestone and Thornvanthes, you can play Painter through almost every sphere they have. Right. Leyline comes into play for free. You right. can win through lock pieces. So keep it in the back of your head. I always do. Whenever If the metagame ever tilts that way, or if just your friends in your local metagame, if that's what they're playing, just a bunch of shops and a bunch of dredge, just beat the crap out of them with this. This is definitely <laughs> yeah. the deck for that kind of metagame. Right. Yeah. The way I kind of look at it is, you know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons to play, you know, whatever deck you choose. Two-card money isn't for everybody. There's people that I've seen even pick it up since I've talked about it, and they're like, I played this deck, and I hate this deck. It's like, well, (laughs) you know, there's different kinds of people. And, you know, some people, when you kind of look at movies, it's like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is a movie that I enjoy much more than Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm much more interested in this movie than that movie. Like, it's kind of the same thing with a deck. It's not necessarily a better deck. It's not necessarily a better movie, but it's definitely a better deck or movie for me. So, right. you know, it's sort of that approach. It's, it's a lot about what you want to get out of a game of Magic as well. That's actually a great segue to our, our next segment about the MTG Underground. And Ben has said it best in the past where he said... You are not your DCI number. I mean, that is, you can play magic and have fun and, you know, you don't have to have wizards tell you how to play. You don't need yeah. to play within a specific format or anything like that. You know, I'm a big believer in this too, as like people become more vocal about the things that they don't like about magic. You know, you, you see a lot of, the more time you spend on the internet looking at anything, I'm sure you see, hear more negativity. But in magic in general, there's a lot of things that, you know, that kind of rub people wrong or people are always looking for something different or wanting something different. They're like, you know, the mainstream magic, the organized play magic doesn't offer an option for everybody. It's not the magic for everyone. You know, it is definitely the magic for the majority. There are a lot more people who are completely happy playing Friday Night Magic and never knowing about a Team Serious Invitational. (laughs) And that's fine for them. Like, that's a good place for them. But if you're not that guy and you're still trying to force that environment, you're going to be miserable. You're going to not get the same out of the game. And 
you might not realize that there's a place for you. And the idea behind the MTG Underground is, you know, if there's not a place for you, then make a place for you. If it's playing cards with one guy, I don't care if you have to teach a homeless person how to play Magic. <laughs> if that means you get to play a format you love instead of sitting through three-hour commander game that you hate because they won't let you have Grizzlebrand as your general, or, <laughs> you know... If that means playing in a standard format where you're not allowed to have combo decks or modern where you're constantly in fear that your deck is going to be banned, like, and yet you go and you pay 30 or 50 or $60, $70, I think now for a Grand Prix right. to play in these events. I, you know, I played Belcher in New Jersey in the last Legacy one that I played a couple of years ago and I finished like 187th out of 4,200 players. Like I was in like, I mean, that's like gotta be like top 2%. And I got like 200 bucks at the end of it. Like, you know, those tournaments are not designed for like, you know, a competitive player any more than they are for a casual player or for anyone other than the organizer. Like those tournaments benefit the organizer more than anyone else. And that's fine because that's what it is. And if your dream is to, you know, take a week off work to go play at the Pro Tour and you know, have to spend a significantly larger amount of money just to even be there, let alone actually learn and compete. Like, if that's what you want to do with your magic life, then, you know, those things are important to you and those things matter. But for most of us, the Pro Tour is a nice dream until you actually think about what it is. Like, I have to travel to some place that I don't want to be. I have to take time off from my life that I don't want to do. I have to play multiple formats that I don't enjoy. You know, in the hopes of maybe winning some money so that I don't hate the time that I, you know, I spend there. And for me, that has, you know, no appeal. And right. for a lot of Magic players, that should have no appeal because that's not something that they really realize that they don't want. When you stop and you start looking at that and you say, well, you know, I don't even like going to Friday Night Magic I don't like playing modern on Saturday. I do these things because I don't want to quit playing magic. I like magic, but this isn't the magic for me. Then you look at, you know, organized play legacy events or, or, you know, the once a year vintage event. And you think these are astronomically expensive formats to get into. The first thing I've said to everybody that plays cards with me is if I can't provide you with the cards, proxy the cards, I don't care. I'm not really worried about your cards i just want to play magic like if you're here for the right reasons then proxy the stuff it's fine and you know that's a great thing about the team serious invitational all the team serious opens too yeah, like all we... the team serious opens i'm gonna say you know every open that you guys run everything i've run at riw do we do everything 100 percent proxy right. because we're not trying to keep people from playing for some people, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a deterrent. Maybe those Planeswalker points are really, really important to them. <laughs> and that means they have to skip Sunday Vintage. That guy's probably not going to have enough fun at Sunday Vintage to, like, be there anyway. Right. So the idea behind MTG Underground at the start was largely, I don't need somebody to tell me how to live my life while I'm at Magic Tournaments. Right. I top-aided my first Star City Open drunk beyond belief they were like confiscating flasks from numerous friends because i had alcohol planted around the room because like why i have to be subversive about it is the whole reason why i'm causing problems it's like if you just had this open policy just because my opponent's an 11 year old kid doesn't mean i can't have a drink right this is what i want to do with my free time you know and i i just don't need this kind of sterile environment where it's frowned upon so couple that with i also like to gamble like, if I sit down against my opponent when we're on the Beltra mirror, I would like the option to go, hey, would you like to put another $50 on this game? <laughs> you know, it's like the fact that that's something that's against the rules has always, you know, inherently bothered me. The very single concept that got me into playing Magic was when I was reading the rules after a brother of mine bought a starter deck. I was reading the rules and I got to the part about ante. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want to play this game. Like, there's something so, actually at stake here. So, yeah, the idea that there was actually something to win made the game more interesting to me. And it's the same thing. Like, I prefer that when we play, like, the Invitational that, you know, there's a higher entry fee. And, you know, we do put up some kind of prize. Not that I wanted the prize. I really just wanted the medal. But, like, it stands for something and it, and it feels better and it's, it's a more appealing sort of uh a more prestigious event as a result, because as much as I think I could run, you know, a $0 invitational where the winner gets this medal, like I'm going to get less people as a result because, 
you know, we're adults and we're not concerned about, you know, a little bit of cash. We're much more concerned about the overall experience. And that's something you lose when you're grinding magic for value or everything's focused on the additives of whatever uh, corporate tournament that you've decided to sign up for. As a natural offshoot of the MTG Underground, I ran a few early tournaments of kind of random formats. I I picked up a bunch of sealed Ice Age, and we ran like a Ice Age sealed deck. It was like $150 buy-in, like a huge cash prize. And I had like six guys in my apartment. And, you know, entry to the apartment was you had to bring a bottle of scotch. (laughs) And then you had to pay $150 to play Ice Age Sealed, which, by the way, is a terrible format. Yeah, it sounds awful. (laughs) There's not enough snow-covered lands to support the snow-covered permanents. But (laughs) with enough scotch, it actually became pretty fun. Right. (laughs) So, you know, we had a good time with it. Everybody had a blast. Somebody, you know, it got to the finals and... My opponent wanted to split the pot. He's like, hey, you know, you each want to take like 300 bucks. I was like, no. I was like, do you want to play winner take all? Yeah. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I was like, what if we play a different format? What if we play a Belcher mirror, like 75 <laughs> card mirror, you know, for all of the money? And he says, well, I don't even have a Belcher deck. I was like, that's okay. I have two of them. <laughs> and... and after a, a round of shots, he finally is like, you know what? Your deck's better than mine anyway. Let's go ahead and do this Belcher Mirror thing. <laughs> and then he wins the die roll, and he's super excited because now he's won the die roll, and he's going to kill me. And then he played, like, a turn one Char Belcher, and all he had to do is, you know, tur- any turn after that, draw, like, a mana source, and he gets to kill me. And my hand was so terrible that I just emptied for eight goblins, and I killed him with eight goblins before he drew a mana source. Right. <laughs> and then it was concern about... Whether or not one deck was the same as the other, I was like, let's switch. You play the other one. I beat him in game two, and I I won the money. And it was just kind of this ridiculous thing that happened because I really didn't care about the money. I just cared about getting somebody to gamble everything that they had earned <laughs> on one game of Belcher. Like, I, I just, that's the only thing that mattered to me in that moment. You know, th- those were the kind of things that I wanted to do with the MTG Underground to kind of coexist with it. I started blogging yeah. and took on writing and writing is the thing that I'm actually good at, <laughs> you know, where like magic is a thing that I sometimes do very well at because I'm a ridiculous person. Writing is the thing is that I'm actually good at because I'm a ridiculous person. Yeah. Your, your blog is top on my list for new magic content. Like when that comes out, I will pretty much drop everything and read it right away. I suspect not many of our listeners are familiar with your blog, which is one of the reasons why it's so exciting to have you on the podcast because it's also one of my favorites, but you've literally never done any advertising whatsoever. Yeah, it's all word of mouth. I, you know, I posted on my Twitter. I post. If you already follow me, you know, on some kind of social media, you might see it when I post it. I, you right. know, I post it once. I don't advertise it for three days on Twitter. I might post it a second time if the first time I posted it at like two thirty in the morning. I'm not out there trying to get a million readers. I want people to find it. I want the people to find it and say, hey, this is something that I really enjoy. This is something I think other people will enjoy. And spread the word by all means. But, like, you know, I've talked numerous times about actually making a logo instead of just having a cropped, like, 8-bit picture (laughs) of demonic hordes at the top. You know, and, like, putting a logo together and maybe make some play mats and some shirts and go to Eternal and then not have them available for people to purchase because I'm just kind of... You know, I'm not really focused on doing anything profitable or beneficial in any way. I just wanted (laughs) an outlet for writing, and I wanted, like, the 200 people or whatever that might read it. Most of my readership, too, seems to be international. Oh, really? When I look at my, you know, my WordPress stuff, it's a lot of readers overseas. I get a lot of links. I get a lot of attention from the European old school community because I do write about a lot of old school stuff by nature. It's the other format that I play. But, you know, much like... But you guys could, you know, can confirm for as much as I call it a magic blog, it's 80% my life and like 20% magic and then just sort of how they come together. A lot of times I'm just using it as a reason to just go off or write about something I've been thinking about. And then eventually I try to tie some things in and show you some pictures of some cool magic cards, some cool decks. But I always play the same deck. So, like, if I'm writing about vintage and I tell you about my vintage deck, I'm probably telling you about the same vintage deck I told you about a month ago. Right. So don't read Ben's blog if you're looking for magic strategy. And I think you'd be fine with me saying that. Yeah, read, absolutely. Read that <laughs> you know, blog if you love magic, right? You know, or, 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 or even or, if you or don't. Just, but yeah, just good writing. Just read it. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we transitioned 
to this by mentioning Fear and Loathing Las Vegas. I think the most accurate term to describe Ben's blog would be uh, like gonzo journalism tournament reports. Right. They're, it's, <laughs> they're, they're stories in which the protagonist is a magic player. That is the only thing you can accurately say to describe all of them. Right. But it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I would highly advise, you know, I would highly advise that you read it. Go back and read the old <laughs> stuff too. Like, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I've written a lot of pretty Yeah, we haven't actually awesome said yet, stuff. and we'll say it again, but the website actually is mtgunderground.wordpress.com. Yeah. And we'll say it at the end of the podcast, but it's worth checking out. Right. I have to say, like, the history of vintage, I mean, this predates the phrase MTG Underground, but the history of vintage, at least in America, not necessarily in Europe, but is the MTG Underground. There was a time in vintage history where there was no such thing as a proxy tournament. They were very controversial at the time. They're still controversial now, but they were far more controversial. But there was a bunch of people that decided, yes, Wizards is putting out this great game, and yes, they have this great thing, which is the tournaments that they run. But we want to do something else with these cards. And at the time, it was, like, my friends can't afford to play or or young new players can't afford to play. Let's let them play the Power Nine as proxies. They ran tournaments. It, it could have failed, but it didn't. It got right. huge. If that had never happened, I sincerely doubt that it would be remotely as popular as it is now. Not right. It was a group of people saying, you know, I want to have fun with these cards my own way. It could have just been filled with a bunch of cheaters that weren't able to be caught by non-DCI sanctioned judges, but that's not what happened. That's not necessarily what's going to happen. And, right. and I think it's great that right now, as you mentioned earlier, a factor of the MTG Underground is being is being sick of EDH, but EDH is also the MTG Underground, Absolutely. right? There was Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, people wanted to play their own way, so they invented it, and... That's and, great. That's both and, of it's mainstream. and then it got corporatized and made yeah. safe. Like I think of EDH as like the nineties gangster rap. It's like yeah. it was this format. It's like we're gonna come out and we're gonna be hard and we're gonna do things our own way. And it was this great thing. And then and then these corporations, you know, wizards moved in on it and they were like, Oh look, here's something we can make money on and they they turned it into this very sterile format that is not what it could have been. Right. But it is absolutely the spirit of the underground at its inception is it's, you know, we don't want to play magic the way that you play magic. We're going to do what we want. And reality is, is the majority of magic players, you know, embody that just by nature. There are guys right now casting Vizardrix on a kitchen table who yeah. are having more fun than the guy who won the last Pro Tour. <laughs> which I couldn't tell you is because I don't care. Like, that, I care more about the guy casting Vizardrix because I'm like, really, you couldn't find an island fish, Jasconius? Like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> but, you know, the point is, is like, the more casual people are, the more they tend to actually love magic. And right. the more serious and competitive people are, the less they seem to enjoy magic. And that's that just seems so backwards. It's a lot of work to grind the SCG circuit or win a pro Absolutely. tour. I mean, like any of those things, it's just like, you actually have to put time into this. Like, yeah. you know, and I play test, you know, I play yeah. test decks. I, all of my testing sessions are usually tournaments. Like I don't play right. a whole lot in between, but the idea that if magic, if, if corporate mainstream organized play magic is not for you, like you don't have to give up in the game, you right. know, just, you know, organize your own fight club and, you know, start yeah. your own <laughs> Like, right. if that's what you want to do, you know, then just do it. There's nobody stopping you. Right. And I promise you, if you if you do it and you get a couple of guys who, who enjoy it as much as you, even if it's four guys playing around a burning barrel in a parking lot, you will have <laughs> more fun than going to that tournament that you didn't want to play. Right. If it means spending a Friday night completely absorbed in green mana or downing a bottle of scotch with your friends, <laughs> listening to loud music, and not caring about the rules or the laws or any of the things that you have to deal with just by being a normal person. Like, if that appeals to you in any way, I highly right. encourage that you do it. Right. You'll enjoy the game on a level that you never have before. That's what my blog is about. That's what my life is about. You know, it's just channel it all into the same place, and, and this game has a lot more to offer. So I think, I think we'll actually sort of... Come to a wrap up there, but I did want to start a sort of a new section on the podcast where we we have a discussion question for listeners to answer either in the comment section at eternalcentral.com or on the the post on the mana drain. You can tweet us, you can email us, whatever. So, how do you, uh, as an individual, as a listener, 
uh, how do you participate in the MTG Underground? I mean, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'd kind of like to give Jeff's Cube a shout out here. Oh God! Yeah, let's hear a little bit about that. And this is MTG way, way underground. <laughs> well, I think that that it's that's sort of a funny thing because, and we've often talked about this how. It's very difficult to go back in the box once you uh-huh. once you've started being competitive and like going to tournaments and something. You like you can't go yeah. back to the kitchen table very easily. Yeah. Like I can't I can't go back. I still have the Thalid deck together, but I could never really play it again because it's just like uh this is quite possibly the worst thing ever made. This is the Thalid deck that you and I played against each other in, what, 1996? Yeah, yeah, around there. And it was just like, hey, let's get like a zillion creatures out in front of us and then see who has more fogs when we alpha strike. That kind of stuff. (laughs) But uh, in order to sort of try and get back to that, I made the box, which is my cube, which is Fallen Empires, Homelands, and Prophecy, though I think I might switch out Prophecy for... Chronicles, because even though Prophecy is absolutely garbage... It's overpowered versus uh, It's, it's overpowered Empires. versus yeah. Fallen Empires and Homelands. Like, it's terrible, but it's just better. And the reason this there is because uh, I believe that those are, according to Richard Garfield, the three most malign sets. They are very bad. He, he hated all three of those. I, I, obviously, I mean, there are very obvious reasons to hate Fallen Empires and Homelands, but... Prophecy was new to me when I was building it, and oh, it's 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 really bad. I like that <laughs> one of Prophecy's themes was sacrifice land. Yeah, yeah. If you if you build a deck that has a decent number of Prophecy cards in it, you need so many lands to make that work. It's pretty nuts. But I, but that's what I was trying to get back to is like we can play this, and since we're all playing terrible cards, it really forces you back right. closer to that that more casual gamer that you once right. were. That was sort of the impetus behind my cube, too. I have a cube that's 4th edition and Chronicles, the, the white-bordered Wonder Cube, which <laughs> I love because, like, those were the two sets that I started with. I yeah. bought a ton of those cards. My first starter deck was a 4th edition starter deck. I pretty much have all the cards listed or known from that deck. Like, I know exactly what I got in it. Like, playing that cube just takes me back to, like, 1995, and, like, this is me being... 13 years old again and enjoying magic because it's this new great thing that I'm getting into and that's how I got into playing the old school format. Yeah, exactly. Is we just we wanted to play things like we played in the beginning. Right. So I have a deck that has two beta demonic hordes in it and I <laughs> I have more fun when I cast demonic hordes than I do <laughs> just about anything else because right. you know I I get to be 14 years old again. You know, except I can be drunk now and nobody cares. This <laughs> <laughs> is a totally different thing. Right. I feel like this is a perfect opportunity. I, I have my own. I've made many fake formats and have lots of times playing, like, Type 4 with totally made-up cards with friends. But it feels like a perfect opportunity to uh, do a really quick plug to the Classic Tournament, right? Nick Detweiler, who runs NYSE, one of the biggest vintage tournaments in the U.S., has, in a... Full embrace of the MTG Underground. I don't even know if he's ever heard of it, but full embrace of the MTG Underground. He has invented a format <laughs> called uh, Classic, which is literally, it's exactly the opposite of modern. It is every card with the old card face, and I believe it's a banner restricted list as it was, like, the day before Mirrodin was printed. That's and, amazing. I ran a yeah. tournament like this last summer, just randomly, exact same format. I just called <laughs> it pre, I was like, we're going to have pre-modern. a pre-modern tournament. Yeah, so, so he's, uh, yeah, the, on the, I want to say, I'm on the manager right now, it looks like it's going to be the 7th of August. I'm not yeah, going to make it, but it sounds like a lot of fun. I would love to have been able to play in it. I'm, I'm going to be at Gen Con right. with some other Team Series people. That's Check awesome. it out on the Mandarin. We'll link to it on the I think. But yeah, that, yeah. that's a perfect example of Nick wanted to experience this. Uh, if you don't like the magic that exists now, play the magic that existed then. Yeah, you well, know, yeah. do what you want. Yeah, that's awesome. You, if I was on the East Coast, I would play that tournament. You know, I think there's a lot of formats that are that are new, sort of in this idea where someone came up with a clever idea. Um, uh, one of the things I'll be doing at Gen Con when I'm there is playing in the Vintage Artist Constructed Tournament, which I think is a pretty cool idea. Mike Lineman pr- presented this to me a couple years ago, and he was like, what's the most broken deck you could build using only cards from one artist? And I was like, well, what would I want to do? Let's look at mana. Dan Frazier did all the moxes. 
I would build Dan Frazier. What can I do with Dan Frazier? And so I started from there. That's that's the Vintage Artist Instructed deck I played. Is like, why would I not use Moxes since I own them already? You know, I have fast mana, and then I get to play Juggernaut. And <laughs> and like that's that's the only thing that Dan Frazier has really is like, I can play Moxes into Juggernaut on turn two, and I don't even care. Like the rest of my deck is terrible, but. Potentially, I do that and I win games. So, <laughs> but that whole for- format's a ton of fun. Like, there's there's a lot of people who play it a little bit more competitively than I would like to. But yeah, it seemed like it was getting a little bit a, a little bit more competitive than they, I liked when I looked into it. But they can't make me care. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I uh, at, at the first tournament I played at Gen Con, oh, it was last year or two years ago. I broke out of a uh, Isochron Scepter and. It was Scepter Chant. I broke out a Scepter Chant lock with Xenic Poltergeist and oh, some removal spell, some instant removal spell. So I enchanted or I uh, turned his creature or his uh, Isochron Scepter into a creature with Xenic Poltergeist and then killed it. And then I broke out of out of nice. Scepter Chant. Hot tech. It was really good. <laughs> but that's the sort of things that you have to do in that format as you come up with these crazy creative things because <laughs> your artist just does not have you know, artifact removal or something like that, you know, it's just, I, he doesn't have it, so I can't play it. That's been a fun format for me. So so if you guys have any stories like that, right, or, or, or your own experience of emptying it around, or you have something in mind that you haven't done yet, but you want to do it, uh, let us know, talk in the uh, Eternal Central uh, forums for this podcast. And if you have not read mtgunderground.wordpress.com, dot wordpress.com you should visit it you'll know pretty quickly whether it's for you or not and if it's not yeah. for you i don't think any of us really care i think we're fine with that <laughs> there's plenty of people who don't like it i don't care about those people but but it's it's for me i'll tell you that much absolutely yeah. check it out i should have a new piece going up in the next day i actually have two of them like half three quarters written so i should have one going up in the next day or two depending on how much of the dnc i decide to watch yeah. so um you know you're you're only going to see bad news on TV. I wouldn't. Yeah, no, that's why I watch. You really it. don't like, need to watch it. <laughs> I, I quite enjoy watching. Like just knowing that other things are more messed up than you know <laughs> me sitting in front of the computer and not writing is yeah. kind of refreshing sometimes. So, <laughs> all right. Um, you know, I should have something live before the end of the week. That's awesome. It's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Natmos. I'm Eddie Fromasco. And I am Dr. Superstition, Shaman Ben Perry. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip, take a little trip, take a little trip and see. was the worst, most disorganized tournament. I think my opponents were on alcohol. <laughs>